Make sure all seats are in the upright position and trays are put away before we take off. Welcome to episode 47 of the Connected Aircraft Podcast. Today is Friday, November 20th. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. And on today's podcast, we have two very special guests. But first, I wanted to let everyone know that we have relaunched our three-part webcast series for the year of 2020 as Connected Aviation Intelligence. This is in place of our live, in-person annual event, the Global Connected Aircraft Summit. We have a two-day interactive virtual video event coming up Wednesday, December 2nd and Thursday, December 3rd, where we'll actually be featuring some of the recent guests from our podcast, giving live presentations in person, and viewers will be able to ask them questions live during these sessions as well. You can see more details about the event at gcasummit.com slash connectedaviationintelligence. So on today's episode, we have two very special guests, two experts from the University of Zurich, who recently published a narrative review entitled Air Travel and COVID-19 Prevention in the Pandemic and Peri-Pandemic Period, a narrative review published in the Journal of Travel Medicine and Infectious Disease. Our guests include Michel Bilecki. He is a doctor at the University of Zurich Center for Travel Medicine which is a WHO Collaborating Center for Travelers' Health, Epidemiology, Biostatistics, and Prevention Institute. We also have Patricia Schlagenhoff. She is a professor at the University of Zurich as well and works with Michelle. You'll learn more about each of them in our interview coming up, as well as some insights into how effective the methods and approaches airlines and airports have been taking to prevent the spread of COVID-19 have been. They published this study recently, and you can review it. You can find a link to the study actually in our podcast notes. So without any further delay, let's get into our conversation with Michelle and Patricia. If you could first both just begin by giving your names and job titles, as well as a brief introduction uh, and background about your roles and your current organizations, as well as a brief or introduction to your organizations as well, maybe beginning with uh, Pat and followed by Michelle. Uh, yes, thank you. Uh, my name is Patricia Schlagenhaus. I'm Professor of Travel Medicine and Research Leader at, uh, of a Group Leader at the University of Zurich in Switzerland. Our travel medicine center is also a WHO collaborating center for travelers' health. So we do a lot of research that is of interest to the traveler, to the travel industry, and also for travelers' health in general. And Mikhail? Um, Yeah, so my name is Michel Bielecki. I'm a medical doctor, and I did my doctoral thesis under the guidance of Pat, and I'm also working at the same center as Pat does under her supervision and guidance, and I've been involved in multiple other studies concerning uh, COVID-19 transmission uh, in the last six to seven months. So um, we've been collaborating on many uh, research papers recently. 
Well, this is a great time to be able to catch up with each of you, and, and both of you have expertise in this uh, area we're going to be discussing on the episode today. Uh, and this, so each of you recently participated in a original narrative review that was entitled Air Travel and COVID-19 Prevention in the Pandemic and Peri-Pandemic Period. Now, this was a very interesting study that I had a chance to review. Uh, can we just start by, you know, giving us just kind of an introduction to what this w review was about, you know, what, what type of measures in-flight, pre-flight uh, regarding COVID-19, sort of the, uh, you know, trying to prevent the spread of the transmission of COVID-19 uh, among travelers across borders. Can you just give us a brief introduction to what the review was about? Yes, I, I think I'll take this one on, uh, Bellamy. Um, we, we were actually very taken back with the, the situation with SARS-CoV-2 and the situation in the uh, travel industry, particularly air travel, and for travelers in general. So we decided to get together as a team, and here I would like to mention the members of the team, to do a, a review. Now, obviously, in scientific terms, a systematic review is the superior type of review because you examine and you rate the evidence. But in this case, because there is a virtual tsunami of new papers coming out every day on SARS-CoV-2 transmission, we decided to do what's called a narrative review. And we put together a team and each of us did a review in our area of expertise. So I would like to mention Michel, who is on the call. He um, was a main player in this review. Dipti Patel from NASNAC, which is the UK Agency for Travel Health, was involved. Jochen Hinkelbein, who is from Germany, and he's involved in the aerospace uh, industry. Matthew Komorowski, who is affiliated with um, University College London and also uh, with the Aerospace Agency. John Kester, who is coming in from the um, INWTO, which is the uh, World Tourist Organization, He's retired, but he still has affiliation and interest in the whole area of traveler statistics. Then we had Shahul Ebrahim, who came in from the University of Bamako in Mali, and he is most interested in a new technique called uh, photoepidemiology. We had Alfonso Rodriguez Morales from South America, from Colombia, who is also a renowned international travel medicine expert. And we had Ziad Memish coming in from Saudi Arabia. And Ziad is an expert on um, mass gatherings, such as the Hajj and other mass gatherings, which attract several millions of people per year. And then myself, as introduced, um, I was the uh, leader of the group for this paper. So you asked, what did we really find? Um, as a group, we found that uh, travelers, the numbers of travelers has been dramatically reduced due to COVID. We found that on really more than 50%, 51.6% fewer travelers are traveling um, this year compared to 2019. 
Um, we found very interesting data on quarantine and its usefulness. In essence, we found that although quarantine may delay the introduction of uh, a virus into a country or it may delay the peak in transmission, we found that the effect is actually small and that there is limited evidence. We also found that hand hygiene and physical distancing not just in the air travel scenario, but also in, in life in general, is an effective barrier for transmission. And uh, we saw, or our colleagues who are um, in the aerospace industry, pointed out that high efficiency filters, the so-called HEPA filters, are particularly useful to filter air on aircraft. We also saw from our um, analysis and survey of the airlines that there is really an incredible heterogeneity in the um, guidelines proposed by the different airlines and uh, it's, it's really quite astonishing the, um, the lack of homogenous guidelines that the airlines are giving. We found some surprising items that I can talk about a little later in, in terms of new innovations, such as the use of sniffer dogs, which uh, is quite promising. But uh, we can go into more details on each of those items a bit later. I just wanted to point out to you what our review covered. Yes, and the review was very, very interesting. Some, and it was, you know, like you kind of uh, did a really good summary of, it was a really good way to sort of summarize and picture the entire air travel environment and what's actually happening on sort of a day-to-day -day basis right now. And, you know, there were some very specific examples and details given in the study that were quite interesting in terms of explaining what challenges the air travel industry is facing right now. For example, there was a mention of an Air India COVID-19 related repatriation flight carrying Indian emigrant workers from Dubai to Kozid Code Airport on August 7th, 2020. Um, and this was actually, you know, how the, the um, review summarized it was, this was an example of how dealing with an emergency event or sort of an unexpected occurrence that can throw off some of the pre and in-flight measures that airlines take to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Can you tell me a little bit more about that Air India flight? Yeah, so let me take this one. Um, I think this is an excellent example on um, how things can go wrong even if you try to make everything right. This was a flight with 199 persons uh, that was going, uh, that, that, and all of these pe people had a negative COVID-19 test before the flight. And then uh, the airplane crashed and all those people were exposed to rescue workers, to government officials, to uh, uh, security people, and to volunteers to, to help with the crash at the scene. Um, and the issue began uh, when they found out that the COVID status of all of those rescue workers and volunteers was completely unknown. And the consequence was essentially that everybody, uh, all the rescue workers, officials and volunteers, as well as the passengers who uh, were rescued, had to go into quarantine for 14 days. And I think this essentially underscores uh, the fragilities um, of systems. It essentially, 
airports should have protocols in place to be ready for emergencies also during pandemics. Just because we have a pandemic, this doesn't mean that emergencies don't happen anymore. And the ground staff, as well as rescue teams, should be prepared and have a known COVID status whenever they go to to sites like this. Because um, essentially this highlights the need to have regular health checks and COVID tests also for workers at the airport and not just passengers. And just a quick follow-up question on what you mentioned there now. Something that I didn't mention is that this was in response to a crash. Now, can you can you tell us a little bit more about that crash and you know how that happened and and was this this was a sort of over the border? I mean, they were crossing borders and it was a repatriation flight. That's correct. Um, I would have to um, look more into detail into this. I, I don't know the specifics of the flight. We we reviewed their paper, but okay. um, I, I would have to look up on that. Okay. No problem. We can we can. Look. Well, I can just uh, chime in here. Sure. The repatriation flight they were uh, was full of Indian immigrant workers who were returning from Dubai, and they had all had pre-travel testing done. So the the whole issue of the paper was that even if you uh, pre-test people before travel. But then if they come in contact with airport workers or rescue workers at the destination or in this case um, during a crash scenario, that really rescue workers and all of the uh, airport personnel should also be in some way protected, screened and also using all measures to protect from SARS-CoV-2 transmission. I see. And, you know, that actually gets right into my uh, one of the next questions that I had about a topic in the paper that was mentioned that you, you mentioned earlier, Patricia, was the, you know, the measures that airlines are taking and airports themselves to prevent the spread and try to understand if a person is, you know, COVID-19 positive and, you know, whether they should be prevented getting on the flight. And one of the things that I thought was interesting that was mentioned in the, in the review was that uh, temperature scanners, the actual, you know, real effectiveness of them in determining whether someone has COVID-19 conditions isn't necessarily well understood. And that's a really interesting because here in the U.S., especially where I'm located in Washington, D.C., you know, that's one of the main um, attempts that businesses are taking to, you know, screen people as they as they enter, for example, a grocery store or a dry cleaners or something like that. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about that? You know, the effectiveness of these measures is is it well understood by the air travel industry? Um, so I'll take that one as well. I think there are two main issues here. One is that previous studies showed us essentially that temperature screening is not very effective, especially in young people who are believed to be the main transmitters, because those young people often never have a fever, which is defined as over 30 degrees, which is usually the benchmark that most airports use. And they only have it for a very short and limited amount of time. And Looking back at a previous pandemic, during the SARS pandemic, Vancouver Airport invested several million dollars into systems to screen temperatures systematically, and they were not able to discover a single case with that. And that raises the question how effective this is. And I think there is 
better way to screen for COVID-19 than to uh, measure someone's temperature, um, such as by doing pre-flight um, questionnaires about symptoms that people might experience um, or uh, testing them, very simply testing them. Right. And, you know, the, the review was very interesting also in terms of there, there was one other, um, you know, point that, that that was mentioned in the review, and that's the gold standard, um, you know, nasal swab test that uh, some airports have actually rolled out in trials. And actually, the International Air Transport Association has mentioned this as, you know, being the gold standard way of, of discovering whether someone has COVID-19 and whether or not that could be standardized and used at a airport. Airport and their weekly media briefings, IATA has weekly media briefings where they've discussed that a couple of times. Um, I wanted to ask about that topic mentioned in the review. What, what did you find about, you know, this gold standard and, and whether that, you know, should be the leading way of, 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 you know, possibly rolling this out at airports? Okay, so it is a goal. So what, what does a PCR test do? A PCR test essentially you swap someone to get genetic information and you amplify that and see uh, if it's detectable or not. And if it's detectable, then that means that somebody has the genetic information um, of the virus in their nose. And that is currently the best surrogate we have for somebody being infectious. And it is the gold standard because it's the most reliable and the oldest method that has been used for decades. But the logistics of it are also very complicated because whoever, if you ever had a COVID test, it's invasive. It requires trained personnel. It usually takes quite a while because the labs cannot really cope anymore with the amount of tests being done every day. And it is quite costly. Now, additionally to um, paying for, um, for flight tickets nowadays, uh, many airlines and many countries require a COVID-19 negative test. Now, this is something, if you travel and you are not symptomatic, that is not being covered by any insurance or, or your government, usually. This is something that you have to pay up to 150 extra dollars for. And, I, and there are faster and cheaper methods of assessing on whether somebody most likely has COVID or not, such as uh, antigen testing that uh, Abbott, for instance, has brought out a couple of months ago, or saliva-based testing. And it has been, recent studies show that saliva-based testing, which costs a fraction of what PCR testing costs, is just as effective, if not even more sensitive. I see. And that's exactly, you know, why, why it was great to catch up with each of you on the podcast today and learn more about this from an expert level, you know. And, and so, Patricia, you know, earlier you mentioned one of my favorite parts, actually, of, of the review, uh, which was that you looked at a study where dogs were trained to, um, you know, sense what, you know, de detect and prevent the spread of COVID-19. And they were, they were trained to detect it, right? And you mentioned in, this, in the review that this is actually being trialed at an airport in Finland. And you all looked at this previous study about this. Now, what, what can you tell me more about this use of dogs for this purpose? Yes, well, uh, Bellamy, for me also, I found that quite fascinating and uh, really somehow not surprising because dogs are 
extremely sensitive to detecting infections in people. They've used, be, been used before, for example, to detect malaria in people. And as you know, dogs are widely used at airports to detect uh, drug trafficking, for example. So in Finland, they have used what are called sniffer dogs who are trained using uh, secretions from patients who are uh, COVID patients in hospitals. And those sniffer dogs um, are then capable of discerning if uh, an airline passenger is actually infected with SARS-CoV-2 or not. And apparently they are extremely um, effective in doing this and their efficacy is probably comparable to the testing procedure. So I thought that was uh, something very interesting. It's a, a non-invasive method. Of course, um, the one little snag here is that the dogs were trained using secretions from people who were actually hospitalized with COVID and therefore they were probably um, quite heavily infected. So the, the next goal in the sniffer dog story is to train the sniffer dogs with secretions from people who are mildly infected or perhaps even asymptomatic and positive for SARS-CoV-2. So that will be an extra, um, an extra advantage, really, of this method of detecting um, SARS-CoV-2 infected passengers. Apart from the sniffer dogs, we did find a couple of other interesting aspects where airlines are doing their best to, um, to be innovative and to think of ways that they can um, still somehow travel and still service passengers by giving food. But for example, Turkish airlines are allowing certain rules for eating so those people would be removing their masks and eating, but then the couple of rows before and behind would not be eating. So in that way, even though the mask is removed for eating, those in the vicinity are protected. So I thought that was quite interesting. And another interesting uh, methodology that we, we uh, reported on in the review was the use of photoepidemiology to assess how well masks are used at airports and I, I think this is also um, a future method where one can see how the adherence is because the best efforts are only as good as the adherence so if everyone is adhering to the guidelines they will work but if there is um, poor adherence or non-compliance then I think the best measures won't work. Right. And those will certainly be a few different, you know, approaches to preventing the spread of COVID, you know, these efforts by airports and airlines to continue to watch. And, you know, we'll certainly look to continue to cover those on the podcast here. Now, b before I do let each of you go, I wanted to know, were there just any interesting statistics or data from your study that you found about airlines, airports, or passengers, or just you know any stakeholders within the air travel industry, uh, you know that were interesting about their ability to prevent the spread of COVID nineteen. Um, so, so I what I found interesting is you know essentially airlines are following the rules by uh, IATA, so the International Air Transport Association, um, and IATA is giving out recommendations, and airlines 
essentially try to follow them. So, for example, by making people wear masks, by disinfecting airplanes, etc. But the way that airlines are um, following those regulations is strongly dependent on their interpretation. So we have certain airlines who disinfect flights before every flight, before after every flight, depending on the length of the flight. And you have other airlines who say, okay, we're just going to do it once a day. Um, and in general, you have lots of airline-specific differences that make it quite difficult for a passenger nowadays to travel from A to B. Um, and I'm going to be a bit anecdotal here, but I travel quite a lot. And two weeks ago, I was, I was traveling to Greece. And a lot of airlines are requesting for you to fill out a passenger lock locator form. And what I didn't know was that you didn't only have to fill one out by the airline, but also the government. And essentially, I ended up getting denied boarding because this, this difference was not clear to me at the gate. And, I'm, you know, we, I wasn't the only one. We were five or six people who couldn't go on the plane because of that. And uh, that was one of the airlines who, who disclosed their information in a quite transparent way to, uh, compared to others. So I think that one of the most important things that has to happen is, the, is that information has to be um, conveyed to passengers in a way that it's easy to follow and that is um, the same across all the airlines rather than having to look up very specific rules that change from week to week from airline to airline. And I, I'd just like to add to that, um, Michelle and Melanie, because really after we completed our review paper, we were quite optimistic because there are some very, very effective measures out there. And uh, our conclusion was that, yes, it should be possible to fly safely, but a layered approach of interventions will be needed, including screening and testing procedures, um, hygiene measures, mask use, perhaps even the sniffer dogs more widely used. And a main issue that we address is that the journey is not just in the aeroplane. The journey begins when the passenger is leaving his or her home. So the journey to the airport is also important, as is the journey from the airport to the final destination. So I think the... Um, air travel industry must look at the journey in its entirety from curb to curb. And then if those measures that have been shown and that I hope will be investigated in more detail in the future, if they're shown to be effective, then this should be communicated very clearly with the passengers. Right. You know, all great information. Uh, we'll definitely include a link to the review in our podcast episode notes. So listeners, please check that out. Uh, Michelle and Patricia, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and informing us about this really an, you know, educational research that you all published. Thank you for having us. Thank you very much, Salome. So that brings us to the end of this episode. As always, please subscribe to us on Apple's podcast app or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, Woodrow Bellamy III. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of the Global Connected Aircraft Podcast.